starts as a kiss. You could say it's between two old lovers or maybe two new lovers, but um, it's definitely the transference of some form of electricity or what you could even maybe say a spark. The spark itself slowly glows. It's almost as if it's a new life breathing in purpose for the first time. It dances along an edge and it slowly moves from being a spark to being a glow to being a full flame. Pretty soon, it's almost like a conductor is conducting an audience of bright orange and flickering as the sparks and the flames dance from almost like one item to another, between pages, through spines, up shelves, until at last... Like an orchestra reaching a crescendo, the fire itself is screaming in an orchestra of warmth and fury and heat. And standing all beside it, there is a rogue, a bearded rogue. This is We Are Not Wizards. My name's Richard, and I'm joined today by Mr. Tony Miller. Hey, Tony. Hey. That intro, I didn't even write that down. <laughs> the, I'm telling you, the embers of my heart are now quite alight. <laughs> that was excellent. That was excellent. I had to. You know, I, I mean, let's face it, you know, th- there was no other way to do this introduction. I couldn't have just done the normal one. You know, you, you've come uh, aflame. You've come burning onto this, um, onto this Kickstarter page. You know, you have set a light. With the fire, you know, the fire in the library and board game, which is strange because trotting behind you with a really long neck is a weird giraffe, kind of looking after, <laughs> looking after. Well, it's great to have somebody watching my back, <laughs> and who better to be the lookout for a rogue than a giraffe? I mean, <laughs> I think that's just kind of the way that works. Unless, of course, they get distracted and all they're doing is standing around, kind of chewing leaves, which is. <laughs> Uh, that 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 unfortunately can happen um but there are a lot of leaves that need chewing and uh luckily carla's very very adept at that portion of things Um, (laughs) let's bring it back in you're tony miller you are a freelance um games designer board games designer tabletop designer um you currently have a project which is potentially wrapping up um just now Called Fire in the Fire yes. in the Library. It's being published by Carla and Nick Cop from Weird Giraffe Games, and it is currently um, doing a little bit over its target at the moment. <laughs> Just a little. Um, yeah, as of as of this recording, I actually haven't looked at it today because I've gotten past the point where I can look at it over and over yeah. again because. Before, it was just disbelief. Like, I'd look at it and go, that can't be right, and I'd have to look at it again. And now, like, we've we've gotten past the point of disbelief to just incredulity. Like, I just look at it, and it's like, no, there's no way. Um, but as of right now, and this is two days before the end of the Kickstarter as we're recording yeah. this, we have 1,840 amazing backers. Yeah. And uh, we are currently at, uh, let's see, what is it, 660% of our funding goal. Oh. Um, <laughs> Somebody needs to pledge, <laughs> like right now. <laughs> I just, yeah, it's, um, it's unbelievable to me. It's truly unbelievable. I don't even know, 
uh, I don't even know how this happened or how I got here. Like, like you said in the intro, like I find myself standing next to a giant conflagration, and I have no idea how I got here. Well, really. you know, I think uh, people need to f- to know a little bit about how you actually got got here. To be perfectly honest, because what we like to do at We're Not Wizards is we like to find out a little bit about you know your past. So we're gonna stare at the reference section of the past. We're going to have a look at the lending section of the present before we jet off into the potential fines of the future. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into the hobby, young man, if you don't mind? Sure. Um, speaking of young man, that's kind of all when it started. Mm. Um, when I was, uh, I was a wee one... Uh, board games were one of the few things that I could do with my family that didn't result in an argument, fight, uh, knockdown, drag-out brawl, or some other form of uh, screaming match. So, and this is like games like Monopoly and Sorry, which create those kinds yeah. of situations for the average yeah. gamer. So I don't know how that managed to work in my household, but um, but the, uh, the old... Um, classics the the mass market games were where everything kind of started um until i decided that clue was my favorite game of all time and proceeded to drive my father insane playing it over and over and over and over and over and over again uh at which point he decided okay there's got to be something else i can't play clue one more time or there will be an actual murder um and he went out as long as he put it in a little envelope or something you can imagine the cops standing yeah. up says where's your son i don't know but uh <laughs> maybe you should walk into another I've, room and exactly guess. i've put various items throughout the house and there's there's an envelope over here and if you guess it right <laughs> yeah i hope you're good at deduction games and um he wanted a deduction game because he knew that that was something that i liked yeah. So he actually found a copy of Sleuth by Sid Saxon, mm-hmm. uh, the old 3M edition, and he bought that, and then we played it until the cards were unreadable. Um, and that was really the first game that I was super into, um, and my dad was just happy because he really liked the game and it wasn't Clue. Yeah. Um, what was, I mean, so, what was it about? Was it another deduction? Was it a a kind of a more involved kind of deduction game was it going towards not as heavy as consulting detective but starting along that little kind of hayride kind of thing yeah yeah like i was completely unaware that start that uh consulting detective existed or i probably would have loved that as mm-hmm. well but um my my dad wanted something my father played deduction games with me and i was very good at deduction games one of the reasons i liked them but, of course, my father was an adult and I was a child, and so often, playing Clue, he would know the answer before I would. But the stupid dice randomization of where you have to be in order to make your guesses and all of this other stuff was more of a determining factor than whether or not you actually knew what the result yeah. was. Like, So that was really frustrating for him, because like I didn't pull any punches against him, obviously, but he regularly had, uh, you know, circumstances where he was 
basically ready to finish the game and then just couldn't. So I guess Roland move frustrated him to no yeah. ends. And then, then we got Sleuth, and suddenly, like, it started off with him kind of schooling me. <laughs> but as we played, like, I started getting better, and he started, you know, actually having to try. And then by the time we were done, like, by the time we mo had moved on to other things, like, we were of a fairly even parity. Like, we were winning about 50% of the time each, and it was really really cool for um both of us to have an experience where it wasn't we weren't sure who was going to come out the winner and there wasn't going to be some arbitrary dice rolling mechanism getting in the way it was literally mind to mind and um those are some of my favorite memories with my dad is sitting around playing sleuth and passing him a card <laughs> and asking him you know if he has uh, this many solitaires and then getting a response back and marking my little sheet and everything like i remember that so vividly uh just growing up do you still have a copy of the game or have you tried to track down a copy of the game to maybe breathe I... in that nostalgia again it took forever for me to track down a copy i actually got myself a copy at origins last year wow. um eagle eagle griffin released a new version of it um i think it's just griffin games but they released a new version of it and i picked that up at origins as soon as i saw it i was like oh i have to have this like my collection can't not have this <laughs> um and uh you know i'm looking forward to playing it with my son like he's five which is younger than i was when i started no. playing Sleuth. Yeah, yeah. so we'll probably have to work through a similar pathway with other games he's starting to show interest in games and that's really cool um but i hope one day that uh, we can play sleuth against each other and then he can uh school me uh <laughs> of you i mean being because I, I mean i've got five-year-old boy as well i've got a <clears throat> I've got two older uh, kids as well, mm. but um, we've shied away from traditional board games. I mean, have you started mm -hmm. to introduce them to some of the easier kind of board games that are out there? Or have you gone down with the Monopoly track and, you know, with them more? We've kind of gone with whatever he's interested mm. in. Um, like, his... And some of it is hobby games. Like, his favorite game right now is Codenames. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We don't actually play it by Codenames rules. It's more like glorified flashcards, yeah. in a way. And that, like, I will give a hint, and then he has to find the picture that corresponds to yeah. it. Um, and that's been really fun. Like, we've been playing a uh, hacked version of Marvel Codenames, and Disney code names specifically with each yeah. other, and he begs to play it. Like he'll set it up and then call me over to come play with him and stuff. Um, and it's really neat to try to think of clues that will get him to guess what I'm intending, which is really fun. So it's just a, a like hacked version of code names that we play with each other. Um, he also really likes Monza. All right, okay. Um, we uh he he loves the little cars he loves rolling the dice he doesn't quite get following the rules all the time so he rolls purple and he wants to go to the purple that's closest to the finish line not the next purple in the yeah, sequence yeah. um <laughs> but we're working on it we're getting there um we pulled out uh, Magic Labyrinth uh, the other day, and while he wasn't really able to play it, he was just mystified <laughs> by the way the magnets yeah. worked. Like, that was something that he really, really loved. Like, 
and and he especially of course loved watching me fail like i get to a wall and the magnet ball falls <laughs> off and rolls down and it's oh dad has to start over this is the greatest thing ever uh, dear. <laughs> it's like the front well it's a it's a roll and move frustration all over again uh, yes, but at least in this one I can kind of memorize where I need to go. Exactly. Like, I can't memorize rolling a six. Like, okay, so I'm going to put myself back in that same state as the last time I rolled this yeah. number. And it's going to come, like, there, there's not enough determination there. Um, but yeah, we play a little bit of everything. Um, we have some mass market games that uh, we've picked up in Target and other big box stores and stuff that we play too, but... I'm kind of an omni gamer. Like I'm, like I, I still am willing to play a lot of the older mass market games, even if uh, I know that there's flaws in a lot of the mechanisms or that they aren't particularly put together well. Um, I don't, uh, I don't really have a problem with them. Like I think you have. There to. are some games I don't enjoy and some games I do, but yeah, but I think you have to. I think you have to. You know, you have to know kind of what everybody else is looking at i mean when i when mm-hmm. we go about the store the toy store i'm always amazed that it's very few kind of board games that you would consider kind of well known in the hobby will actually mm-hmm. be sitting on the shelves of a you know of a toy shop it's like there'll be mm-hmm. i'll maybe see scotland yard i'll potentially yep. i mean i'm seeing um i'm seeing obama llama coming up now and again mm-hmm. I've, I've still not yep. seen like code names but then again i guess um in the states your guys you know your targets and your places like that seem to be having a greater stock of board games over here it's the bookstores waterstones seem to have gone down mm-hmm. the board game kind of path but it's still strange to see parents picking up like a i guess a copy of monopoly and i'm saying ah, i wish i could just fill your basket yeah. with all these other joys oh. instead oh I've had conversations with people in the aisles at the store. I'm kind of shameless. Um, <laughs> it's it's just one of those, like, how about you guys pick up Splendor instead? <laughs> or if you're looking for a fun game to play with your kids, you know, King Domino is sitting right exactly. here. This is a really good one. You should try this one. Or I love suggesting Haba games because... Especially with younger kids, the wooden pieces in Haba games are games in and of themselves. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't have to know how to play Animal Upon Animal to play with a bunch of little wooden animals. No. I don't have to know how to play Monza to enjoy driving little wooden race cars around a track. Um, So that's, you know something that i try to direct if they're gaming with parent if their parents gaming with their kids i try to direct them to um and i've had a lot of success with that yeah um, i must admit i must but, admit that my um my brother his um his son got a copy of king domino and tumble tree for christmas mm. just to kind of and they've currently got a they've currently got access to small world and they've got lift off get me off that planet um, from yep. Edo Barav, so we've um, yep. you know we I've kind of lent them some of those entry games in the hope that they'll come back mm-hmm. and go well what else have you got kind of thing which is always which is always kind of good. And while nobody else in my family is really like into board games the way I'm into board games, like they don't collect them, they don't design them. Um, you know, my brothers and my parents and stuff will still play games. Like 
we played a lot of spades growing up, so any game that's numbers on cards, I can introduce to them without any difficulty. Like, they picked up No Thanks in a second. Like, they were totally into things like Colorado, yeah. Red 7. Like, any game like that, they don't even blink an eye at. Like, my mom grew up playing Pinochle with her parents and her seven brothers and sisters, Whoa, okay. so... You know, they were actually paired off in teams, like the two oldest, the two oldest, the oldest boy and oldest uh, girl were a team, and then the next oldest boy and oldest girl, and like holiday get-togethers were the different teams of kids sitting down and playing Pinochle against my grandparents, who just owned the table for the entirety of the thing. They got to play Pinochle all day long, hmm. and, you know, the kids got to do whatever they wanted but you know show up for the game with their parents and stuff so like gaming has just kind of always been something that my family's done like i remember playing crazy eights with my grandmother um one of my uncles who joined the military uh was home on leave and had ogre the original like steve jackson in the oh my goodness plastic yeah baggie okay with the little counters and he introduced that to me when i was little because none of his family members would play it with him but like he learned it in the army with other gamers in the army and everything that's, and that's amazing so when he came home he wanted to play it and i was the only one who was willing to so like when the collector's edition of that rolled around a couple of years ago, I had to have one of those too. That's so, that's crazy um, because um, one of uh, one of the friends of the show, Peter Wellington, has the company he works for, were responsible for the latest digital version of Ogre. Mm. <laughs> so awesome! So they've been involved involved in that. So you didn't have a traditional break with the hobby then? Have you continued with it? Because normally, what happens is people do. They go oh. all the way up to high school, and then high school they go into college, and then they stop because, guys, I can go out and meet people, <laughs> and be yeah, and stuff. I, yeah, I, I, I did have a break. Um, like a lot of my experiences gaming were when I was younger, like, um, eight to about twelve. Mm. Um, my parents got divorced when I was eleven. Right. And at that point, my dad was working like three jobs, so I never saw him. Uh, and my mom was living elsewhere, and I was the oldest, so most of my time was spent, like, taking care of my brothers and making sure that they were getting to school on time and that we were all doing our homework yeah. and everything like that. So there was there was quite a break. Um, I ended up kind of filling that by reading role-playing game manuals. Like, I grew up in a very, very tiny town, so I never got to play any role-playing games. Yeah. Um, when I was little, but I would read, like, the adventures or, you know, troll through the monster manual and look at all the cool stuff. I was interested in monsters and mythology and all of that, so that was just a fun thing that I did for a while. And it wasn't really until I was in the army um, that uh, I got back into gaming, and uh, role-playing games are actually what did that. Um, one of the things that a lot of people find really fascinating uh, is that the military is home to a lot of gamers. Um, the U.S. military is just full of gamers, whether it's magic players or board gamers or role players. Like, There's got to be something to do on all that downtime yeah. between major activities and there's only so many books you can read and you already exercise as part of your job so you know there's you know hobbies where you're stationary and using your brain rather than your body tend to be something that a lot of people prefer to indulge in and so um 
I actually ran into a whole bunch of people role playing and got into role playing pretty heavily. So what were you doing? What did you do in this? What did you do in the service then? What was your? Were you army or? I was army. I was army. I was military intelligence. Oh, cool. Um, specifically, I was a signals intelligence analyst. Yeah. So, uh, I did that um, for two years until my knees gave out on me, and uh, the army has very little use for you if you can't run, even if your primary uh, primary job function is more of a in an office behind a desk kind of function. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, but yeah, I did military intelligence stuff, and of course, the ranks of military intelligence are just crammed full of gamers. So, <laughs> I can imagine. Um, yeah, here's, exactly. Like, here's the table. Here's the table where we plan. Well, the, all these messages are coming in. We got to code them, and then we got to send the orders on. And what's that table? Um, that's our Warhammer for table <laughs> yes yeah exactly like well we had um i worked in a secure facility and we weren't allowed to bring things in or out a lot of the yeah. time but like we had like elaborate origami chess sets that people had made like out of printer paper <laughs> and then they'd colored the black pieces with sharpie so that people could play chess oh, wow. in inside the building and um you know like everybody played some sort of game like it was just it wasn't a question of were you a gamer it was a question of what kind of gamer were you and um like... that was really cool it was like coming home to the mothership almost you've got two types of music here country and western <laughs> yeah great blues brothers reference i grew up on that that's like one of my all-time favorite movies it's just gonna um, game it's what you mean you don't game it's like yeah yeah let me just get the sergeant here sergeant why did you let him in the complex for he doesn't game like you do you do realize that most of our training scenarios are games right exactly like at the very least you do that yeah you're um, not rolling dice yeah here. come on but you know it's heavy yeah. artillery still heavy artillery i'm just saying yeah but yeah it was um it was uh it was a really interesting experience and then I got out and kind of like just continued uh role playing and then I got into uh the Game of Thrones collectible card right, game okay. back when it was a collectible card game uh before the Fantasy Flight rolled out the whole LCG model and everything. I was a big George R R Martin fan and the Wizards of the Coast stores which were a thing if you can imagine that I can um imagine. were going out of business. Well yeah, they were going out of business in in the uh, local malls and everything, and so I went in there and managed to pick up just a box, like a full like display case of starters, for almost nothing, and immediately became addicted um, to that specific game, and I played that all the way up until they actually shifted to the LCG format, at which point all of my old cards were basically compost. Um, <laughs> so, like, I had all these cards and I love this game, but if I wasn't going to spend more money in transition, which was really funny since they were transitioning away so that people wouldn't have to spend so much money to participate in the yeah. hobby. Um, uh, you know, I, I kind of fell off with it at that point and had all of my cards up until last year when I moved. I ended up giving them to somebody else who collects uh, dead CCGs and everything. But oh my I was really into role playing and I was really into that. That must be that and must then... be the saddest collection in the world. I don't mean as in the person's sad. That must be right. That must be like oh. you have to put the cards and laminate them and triple sleeve them because yeah. you'll just flick through and you'll be crying. 
do you remember? Yeah, it's like it's like the collection of broken dreams and hopes. Like <laughs> the number of people who spent time working to produce those things oh, and now Lord. like you can buy them for like pennies, uh, like not even pennies. Like some of them literally are worth more if you recycle them <laughs> than if you actually play with them. And like their whole worlds and whole games and whole systems and so many cool uh, things. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like a, I don't know. It's, it's like one of those curiosities type collections, you know, where next to the, you know, head in formaldehyde, you have, you know, the dead warlord CCG from the 1990s. It's know? like the opposite. It's like the opposite of the bright, shiny and new and Kickstarter, isn't it? It's the opposite, yeah, the opposite exactly. end of the universe. Exactly. It's kind of like gamer hell. It's like, where are, you, yeah. where are you going? Well, you're going to the place, not the Bernie place. No, 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 not the Bernie place. You're going to the obsolete CCG thing. No! Yeah, you're going to the place where cardboard goes to die. Enjoy. Exactly. Um, but, but you, um, but yeah. so, so you're collecting stuff. But when yes. when do you make the transition, Tony, from collecting stuff and not scribbling on it to getting <laughs> card and actually scribbling on it and saying, okay, I'm going to put a four here because that'll work. What's your journey into kind of starting? And and are you the guy that... Because <clears throat> Fire in the Library is doing well, as we said at the top yes. of the show. Yeah. But is this your... You know, first is this your first time up to bat? Is this your 15th time up to bat? Is this your... Guys, you can be Captain America. Listen, I can do this all day. Uh, kind of thing. <laughs> We're getting an all the, all yeah, the, all the film references are coming out today, but... All of them. We got to throw all of all them of in them. there, and I appreciate okay. it. Um, but yeah, I um, so my first design um, actually was so. Let me back up just a little bit. So I stopped playing role playing games because I didn't have time to play role playing games anymore. Yeah. I was an adult with a full time job, and you know, a child, and all the other stuff that that entails, and. Um, Role-playing games take a, you know, four-hour minimum commitment, and that's if you're not running the game, and all the other stuff that's involved, and then trying to coordinate adult schedules who also have jobs and kids and stuff like that. That just didn't work. Yeah. Um, so, pandemic happened, and suddenly uh, I discovered modern hobby board gaming, and uh, fell in love all over again with something that... Um, I'd kind of moved away from, uh, and so I started playing board games because they were much easier to fit into my life, and then I started having the issue, um, of everybody I know is an adult, and so it's either play these games by myself or find some other hobby to work on, and so initially it was playing the games by myself until finally one day I just decided, you know what, maybe I should try designing one of these things, like... <laughs> When I did when I did you know role playing games like I ran games as the the GM and I used to come up with my own monsters and my own creatures and all of that stuff and that's dabbling in game design and you know the board gaming world like initially my brain was like this seems like it could be fun like maybe it's just something that I can do I can do it by myself I can do it in the hours in the middle of the night when I'm still awake and nobody else does. It doesn't require anybody else immediately. Like, let me just start messing around with it. And so 
uh, I found a weekly board game night in my area, and then at least once a day, uh, I tried to spend some time working on game design. And I started off with a game called Elements, um, which was my first design wow. that you haven't heard of because it didn't go anywhere. Um, what, what but, was that about? Um, it was, you were a, you were an alchemist who was working to try to impress Nicholas Flamel in order to gain access to the Philosopher's Stone and eternal life. And as such, you were using elements, air, earth, fire, and water, to complete, uh, specific formulas that were all worth certain amounts of points. And then, of course, by the end of the game, whoever has the most points wins, yeah. and you know, you get the, the picture. Um, the biggest thing was that, uh, I originally designed it because, uh, I wanted to see more games that had the, uh, I divide, you choose mechanism inside of it. Um, it wasn't something that was very common. Like there was like piece of cake, which is now, I guess, re-implemented as New York slice yeah. and a couple of other games, but that was really it. So, um, that was the the core mechanism was an I divide you choose mechanism where at the beginning of the round a certain number of elements would come out into the onto the table and then the active player would sort them into uh, equal or not equal um, depending on their uh, their decision making process um, would sort them into stacks equal to the number of players so everybody's getting something but of course the person doing the sorting is getting the last one and so um, you kind of have to sort them a little bit evenly uh, or at least sort them so that other people are incentivized to take the stuff that you don't want so that you actually get what you need um, and I played around with that design for quite some time and I made all the mistakes that rookie designers make like, I got artwork. Um, <laughs> I, um, you know, pitched it all over the place. Um, well, I, I designed it all over the place and inflicted it upon my friends and family at playtest nights and at my board game night and all of this stuff. And I say inflicted it. Nobody really hated it. Like, I don't, I still to this day don't think it was a bad game. Yeah. I just don't know if it's a publishable game. Like, I don't know if it's a game that anybody would actually pick up. Um, but... I designed this game and decided that I was going to go to... I did a whole bunch of research. Like, I discovered Cardboard Edison, um, which is an amazing resource for designers. Um, I uh, started l lurking around all of the design communities that I could find and everything. And then I ended up going to Unpub. Um, and my first Unpub was the first one that was in Baltimore. The first Unpub Prime yeah. in Baltimore. And I brought my little game... And a whole bunch of people played it and said, eh, this isn't half bad. <laughs> and I met a whole bunch of people in the industry. And um, one of the things that they said there was, hey, um, you need to be on Twitter. If you're not on Twitter, you need to get on Twitter. That's where the entire board game community basically yeah. lives. And if you want to meet people, if you want to network, if you want to connect with people, if you want friends, if you want other designers that you can work with, you need to get on Twitter. And so I did. And that's kind of when the Bearded Rogue was born. Is that um, from a D&D &D reference then? Or is that you just went, right, okay, a bearded mage. Nope, that's been taken. Um, beard, no, bearded no, no, wizard. No, no, <laughs> no, no wizards, no wizards and no mages on this podcast especially. No. Um, Tony, you're delighted. I've... Uh, no, I've always, uh, I've always kind of steered 
towards rogues and scoundrels. I'm um, I'm five three, so I'm not a uh, exceptionally imposing figure physically. Mm. So while uh, barbarians and paladins and warriors and all of them are somewhat appealing, I've always had to fight using my brain. Yeah. Um, and so rogues and rangers are pretty much it, and I'm sneakier than I am than I prefer being outside. Um, so uh, I, w- I would much rather be an urban uh, individual than an outdoorsy type. So rogue it was, and I kind of always have been that way. Like you know the my you know Han Solo and um, Indiana Jones uh, were major uh, things that I was into growing yeah. up. Um, you know, since then, like most of the fantasy novels that I read focus on characters who would be considered rogues or assassins or scoundrels. Like that's just kind of my archetype. I'm chatty and I'm not physically imposing. (laughs) So (laughs) that, uh, that's kind of where that came from. And, um, you know, rogues tend to be resistance fighters and counterculture and they tend to be, um, individuals who, uh, aren't necessarily lawful. Um, so it just kind of fit with me as a persona. And well, the beard, uh, is just kind of become a trademark, which is really funny because the beard originally, I was like, okay, so what can I be that's different? Uh, what can I do that's different? And I tried a whole bunch of different things involving rogue and all of them were taken. And finally I was like, you know what? The beard isn't going anywhere. Like, even if I lose all my hair, I'm not going to be losing the beard. Yeah. That's going to be with me until I die, so bearded rogue it is. Um, it wasn't hard to stay on brand at that point. I just kind of made my brand what I what I am. Um, oddly enough, now, the hair that I've... Uh, for those who don't know, I have purple yeah, hair, have and purple. I have purple hair that comes... I have purple hair that comes down to the middle of my back, so I have about 60 pounds of purple hair. Um, and uh, <laughs> there are, there that's are become... people who would, you know, they would pay good money for that. I know I would. If... <laughs> well, and that's kind of become a trademark now. I never like the hair may go and when it goes like it goes, but, um, it's become almost a thing now too. uh, the bearded rogue and his purple hair. Um, but yeah, that's, it just all originally started because of that. And so, like, from Twitter, I met so many amazing people. Like, the board gaming community, the design community, and board gaming in general, but the design community specifically for me has been so welcoming and so encouraging and so motivating. And even though I was this, like, one guy in the middle of nowhere who spent an hour a day working on games in his home office, um, you know, not interacting with anybody suddenly i had like a whole world open to me and everybody kind of wanted to help like everybody wanted to help and um it was just amazing i was gonna say but do you think that's because a lot of the time when you're looking at say um other companies when you're speaking to other companies they're just you know singular people as well i mean Mm -hmm. let's you know yeah um, Carla is mm-hmm. her nick. You know, if you speak to yeah. Atheris Games, that's uh, Andrew Burkett. I mean, you've mm-hmm. got you yep. know, um, you've got um, is it Ninth Haven, which is uh, which is Richard Keane. You know, even I if mean, you, I mean, even if you look yeah, at the even going the plaid all hat the way up guys, to you know, yeah, exactly. Even going up to 
like Renegade. Like I think Renegade Games has something less. They have less than ten yeah. employees. Yeah. Less than ten for Renegade Games, one of the biggest names out there right yeah. now. Um, and I think that does is part of it. Everybody who's in this industry loves this industry. Like there's not money in it. You know, that old joke of how do you make a large fortune or a small fortune in board games? You start with a large fortune. <laughs> um, you know, that's fairly accurate. You yeah, know, exactly. Like, well, it, people get in. It's just people get into this because they love it. It's the Terry Pratchett thing, the masquerade thing. And he says, yeah. he says, so he says, what happens? He says, well, what you get, you put money and you get you put money into opera. And he says, and what happens? Well, you get some money back out. And then what do you do? You put that into opera as well. And do you not make any money from yes. it? Yes. No, you just get opera. <laughs> it's just like... Yeah, you just kind of keep getting opera. And that's that's the way it is with gaming. Like, you just keep getting games. You just keep getting gaming. Like, it just kind of continues that way. And so the people in this hobby know how hard it is to be in this hobby. Mm -hmm. And they understand the realities of it. Like, most of them work day jobs in addition to their hobby job. Like, they're not just a game designer. They're a game designer plus whatever they do to take care of their family, plus whatever they do to pay the bills. Um, and so I think it breeds a certain sort of people who want to give each other help wherever possible because that's kind of what they're looking for and i think there's a history of it like there's a culture of it at this point like it's just what you do as a designer is you help other people and i love um working with other designers i love talking to other designers about their games um you know unpub was a revelation being on twitter and being connected worldwide was like the greatest thing ever <laughs> i'm an extrovert and suddenly i had all these other people who were as interested as me in talking about game mechanisms for hours at a time. You know, <laughs> that's not something that you just find on the street. No. You don't just strike up a conversation about, uh, you know, so what do you think about drafting? Oh, well, it's really cool the way they do it in Seven Wonders, and it's all simultaneous, but, you know, there's something to be said for the tabletop draft. There's a lot of people who aren't <laughs> interested in that conversation at all, and their eyes glaze over yeah. when they hear that kind of thing start. But I'm a gearhead, and I love it. And so... um I accidentally found myself on a podcast at some point. <laughs> um, and I say accidentally, it's just, it's, so I went to Origins a couple years in a row, and then finally with Elements, after Unpub said, hey, this is pretty good, yeah. you should show this to people. I went, well, I don't know any people. And they went, well, there's this speed dating thing. And I went, okay, sure, why not? So I signed up for a publisher speed dating event at Origins, and... Uh, there, I ended up showing my game to 12 different publishers over the course of, like, an hour. I got five minutes with each of yeah. them. And while none of them picked up the game, now I knew who they all were. They knew who I was. And during that speed dating, there was a, a gap of time where I didn't have a publisher at my table, and the person at the table next to me didn't have a publisher at his, yeah. and the person at the, pub the table next to me was Ian Zhang. Oh, right, who, okay is on my podcast with me. Um, and, like, during that downtime, we just showed each other our games. We just talked about, so what do you? What did you bring? Oh, what did you bring? And we just told each other about it and everything. And we agreed to play each other's games. And so after we got out of publisher speed dating, we did. And at that same uh, event, um, I was introduced to Gilhova. Yeah. Um, I actually, I was 
friends, uh, or I was a follower of the Meeple Syrup show and the Nerd Nighters show yeah, yeah. Uh, live on YouTube. Um, they both used to run. Me- Meeple Syrup is still going, though they've changed up hosts and formats a couple times. Um, and I got to meet Sen, uh, which was like a like life-changing <laughs> moment for me because... I loved Belfort, and he was one of my design heroes. Like, some of the first articles that I saw on the web to help me with game design were him and Jay writing as the Bamboozle Brothers <laughs> about how to build a cell sheet or, you know, things like that. And so I got to meet Sen, and Sen's like, hey, you want to play a game? And he sits me down at a table, and the game on the table is Gilhova's The Networks. Oh my goodness. I don't know Gil. I don't know The Networks at the time. Yeah. But I played a four-player game. And then the rest of that weekend, I played a three-player game yeah. uh, with uh, the one Tar and Roof. If you're on Twitter, you'll know who both of those are. Roof is from the Five By, and um, Tiffany is one of the most prolific reviewers, live streamers, amazing human beings in the yeah, world. Yeah. They both totally destroyed me. <laughs> uh, and then I played a two-player game with Gil. So I played every player count that was available for the networks, except for Solo, at that Origins. <laughs> So we get a week later, and I see Gil has put up a article about podcasting in the board game industry, yeah. and how he's so fed up with the way podcasts in the board game industry are. He's like, it's one thing if your podcast is all about getting to know people. Yeah. It's another thing if you say, this is a podcast, and I'm not going to have a specific topic. We're just going to talk about what we've, what beers we've been drinking. Yeah. What we've been playing, um, we're going to talk about what uh, wh- what happened on The Flash this week. <laughs> um, we're going to discuss a whole bunch of things that have nothing to do with gaming or any kind of specific topic. Um, it's going to be four hours long. Yeah. And, like, all of these things exist still in the hobby as things. And he wasn't meaning to specifically call anybody out. But he was saying, at the time, what I want in a podcast is I want something that's an hour or less that I can listen to on a commute. I want something that has a specific topic, whether it's the guest of the week or a specific mechanism we're discussing or something like that. I want something that has a... Uh, actual editing where somebody's going to go through and delete ums and silences and all of that and i w- that's what i want out of a podcast so at this point i get a message from ian like that same day that this article comes out and ian goes hey do you want to be on a podcast <laughs> and i'm like uh <laughs> o- okay i guess like i i don't know i I, i've never been on a podcast uh so i have no idea what is it going to entail for me he's like nothing you just show up and talk i'm like oh well i got that (laughs) showing up and talking that's the easy part (laughs) yeah exactly and uh at the same time ian was having a conversation with gil saying hey we'd like to do a podcast and we'd like to do a podcast that's like the podcast you talk about in this article that you wrote would you be interested now for those who don't know gil is a professional sound engineer um and he edits other people's podcasts already like at the time he was already editing ludology and several other podcasts um so the gig that i lucked into was breaking into board games with ian and gil and myself and i get to show up and talk (laughs) And Ian runs all the social media, and Gil edits all of the podcasts. 
So all of the hard stuff fell to them. Um, I'm going to be probably taking over the social media now, and Ian's going to be helping with the editing, um, now that Gil is a much bigger name in the hobby with multiple games to manage and multiple conventions to go to, and now that he's taken over as the co-host of Ludology himself, yeah. he's got a lot on his plate. So Ian's going to be probably editing the podcasts going forward, and I'm probably going to be doing social media, but for three years, like, I lucked into this podcast with two amazing people, and all I had to do was show up. And what's even better is that the podcast is all about interviewing people in the industry and how they got there, and so I get to show up and talk to people for fun <laughs> as a podcast. Um, so, yeah, uh, that has been just amazing, and for my personal design career, it's been... Uh, the greatest thing ever to just kind of get to meet everybody and know everybody and like celebrate all of their successes. Like the number of Kickstarters I get to follow along with because I've talked to the person and seen firsthand like their enthusiasm for the project and how much they love it. And like the number of companies that I've got to interact with on a first name basis because of that has been just phenomenal. It's been one of the greatest things I've ever done is say, yes, I'll be on your podcast. It's still, it's still um, very open, isn't it? I mean, there's not, yeah. there's not, um, I've not experienced, um, I've not experienced kind of like a closed door mentality. I've not, ex I've mm -hmm. not had, I've not really experienced anybody that's kind of went, no, we're not, you know, we don't want to speak to you or we're not interested in speaking to you. You know, even the mm -hmm. you know, even the bigger guys out there are saying, listen, yeah, we would really like to do this and we're kind of like, we'll mm -hmm. work around to it. And, you know, it takes a couple of months, it takes, you know, 18 months, it takes however, but you do, they eventually yeah. do come on and you eventually do kind of speak to them, but you don't get the kind of the shot. There's not the extra layer of PR. I don't mm -hmm. think. Yeah. I don't Yeah, there's not as many gatekeepers. Like you aren't talking to secretaries to try to arrange things. You're talking to the people directly. Yeah. But um, that's even that seems know. to still be across the industry. I mean, when I had um mm -hmm. you know, when I've had people that, you know, Nigel from Games Quest was on, it was a case mm -hmm. of, "Oh, here, let me copy you in and you can speak to him." You know, um we've mm -hmm. got a couple of other names coming on, um obviously not as um, as well renowned as yourself, but um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah right. but, on the, but at the same time, the kind of the path to actually speaking to them has been relatively straightforward, and it's not been a question about yeah, but you're only going to come on if you can tell us about your reach or what your figures are like mm -hmm. or what your audience yeah. is. They're just kind of interested in coming on and having a chat and kind of having a and kind of having a kind of a laugh about it as well, which is always which is always really really oh, yeah. good everybody in the industry is really approachable in my experience like on breaking into board games our third guest ever was steven bonacore that's pretty cool um and like that was gil knew him you know gil was much more in the industry when we started the podcast but like at the time the joke was that steven was the pod father and your <coughs> podcast didn't really exist unless steven had been on yeah. it yeah and so like he found out we had a podcast and was like, so can I be on? And it's like, he's asking <laughs> to be on our podcast. Like, and, you know, this is somebody who could get the time of any board game media that exists. And he's asking to be on my podcast. That's really it's, it's cool. the whole Alice Cooper, Wayne's World thing. I've said it before, but it's kind of like, yeah. you know, why don't you just hang out with us? Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll hang out with you. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like that Origins. Like, I meet Sen, and I'm totally starstruck. You know, here's this guy who's designed Belfort, which is, at the time, like, one of my favorite games. I played it almost weekly. Yeah. Um... And he, you want to sit down and play a game with me and all of these other designers? Okay. Like, brain explodes. You know, the we're not worthy chance starts. Exactly. Like, it's very much, it's very much exactly like that. And there's, it, it's just been, um, it's been amazing being in that part of the industry. And then, like, that's directly led to any of the success that I've had in the industry. Like, people know what I'm working on. People know what my designs are, they interact with me on Twitter, they hear me talk about them in the public space, and, you know, I pitch my designs at conventions, and, like, Carla was a friend long before she was my publisher. Like, we met each other at a convention specifically so that we could play each other's games. Yeah. Because they sounded interesting. And she, at the time, had Super Hack Override, and I uh, ended up showing her Fire in the Library, which is very humorous now that you know that was the game out of all of the ones that i had that i chose to show yeah her. yeah and then i find out as we start like that she doesn't like pressure luck games and i'm like oh this is gonna be great i've just wasted <laughs> this person's time oh, um dear. she did say though on the show that she kind of said to you at the time i'd like to i think she said i'd like to publish this and you just like gave him the well, I gave him the impression that, that I was kinda like being polite. It was kinda like, yeah, I'd publish this. And you go, oh, That okay. actually came later. That actually came later, which is even funnier. So we played Fire in the Library the first time we met at Gen Con and then fast forward a year to the next Gen Con and I'm pitching Fire in the Library to publishers. And I'm getting the same feedback from all of them. This is a pretty good game, but I already have a Pressure Luck game. Yeah. Or, this is a pretty good game, but the earliest it could come out in our lineup is 2020. Mm. Or, this is a pretty good game, but... And I'm like, man, like, everybody seems to like it. And we were just... I was dead tired, because I worked with Renegade at this year's Gen Con, demoing games all day for, like, eight hours in the crowded Gen Con hallways. So I'm beat. Yeah. And I'm just sitting here talking to my friends about all of the designer publisher meetings that I had and I say you know I just I don't understand like everybody seems to like this game but nobody wants to actually make it and I'm like totally disheartened and totally out of my head and add to that I'm 5'3 and so things tend to go over my head uh, in conversation I'm talking to Carla and she's like really nobody wants to put that one out <laughs> and I'm like no it, it it's just not I'm not having any luck like everybody likes it but nobody can do yeah. it and at that point, she says, you know, well, you know, I'd be interested in doing it, and I totally miss this. <laughs> totally oblivious. Like, I'm so in the tired brain state that I can't even <laughs> fathom what she's actually said. And so, I miss it completely. So, we go home from Gen Con and everything, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, or, or, and I'm like these are the things that I, I want to do for the game. And she goes, well... Would it be cool if I helped you do some of that? And I'm like, oh, that would be awesome. I would love that help. She goes, well, would it be cool if I kind of developed it? And I'm like, oh, wow, you do that? And she goes, well, I'd publish it, but it didn't seem like you were interested. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> what? Did you, and did you, so wake, up, did me, you wake up at like half four in the morning yeah. and just go, <gasps> she said you publish it. <laughs> so, so she tells me in this conversation... <laughs> how dumb I was in the previous conversation. 
And she's like, yeah, I said I would publish it, but I thought you were really, like, holding out for somebody bigger. And I'm like, no, I would absolutely <laughs> love to work with you. You're awesome. And you work really, really hard. And I would just, it, I would be honored to have my game published through you. And she's like, that's kind of what I expected the first time. I'm shocked that it didn't happen. And so we just had a laugh about it, like, because it wasn't what either one of us, like, I was having a conversation that was not the conversation I was actually having. <laughs> and that happened again with the artwork. Um, you know, we get to BGGCon, yeah. and I'm learning, uh, I'm playing games with uh, Beth Sobel and her husband, Daniel, and... She's like, well, do you have anything? And I'm like, well, I, all I have are my prototypes. And she's like, well, bring one out. What about the one you just signed? And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. So I pull out Fire in the Library, and we play the game. And Beth's like, so, do you have an artist yet? <laughs> so my brain still not turned on all the way. Apparently, I walk around in a half daze most of the time. <laughs> or I have some sort of opinion of myself that doesn't think that anybody could actually like anything that I do. <laughs> And so I'm like, well, Carla's talking to some people, but the person she originally oh reached out to is really busy and all this. And Beth's like, well, what kind of style are you looking for? And I'm like, well, I'd really like, you know, more of a painterly style. Like, I want it to be colorful. I don't want it to be some shade of grayish. Like, I want it to, to be a pretty game. And, you know. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you're totally you getting know, asked, kind of like, ah, I don't know what yes. I'm doing for prom. What yeah. are you doing for prom? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, so like my style, and I'm like, oh, your style would be amazing. And then she turns to her husband and goes, so could I do this one? And at this point is when my brain finally like catches up. My jaw hits the floor, and my brain kind of snaps into my head. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're actually having oh, this conversation. Turn to, and, to her husband, and she goes, like his hair, but. He's not too bright, though, is he? <laughs> exactly. And and he's like, well, I don't know. You've got your own Kickstarter coming up. You're doing a deck of cards. And you've got all of the illustrations for it to do. And you've got some previous Was this goes, Sunset Over yeah. Water at the time for Pencil First? Or was it... That was one of the things that she was finishing yeah. up at the time. Okay. Yeah. Um, and there were a couple of other things that she was working on. But she goes, you know oh, come on, this is a small game. This wouldn't take me long. I could do this. And finally, he just breathes this sigh. He's just like, <sighs> because she's made her mind up. At which point she turns to me and she goes, so, can I do the artwork for your game? Like, just blunt. Like, because that's the only thing that's going to penetrate the, uh, just, just the thick skull that I possess. And, stuff at you. <laughs> and, and finally I'm like, well, I'm not really the boss. You'd have to talk to Carla. I can put you in touch with Carla. Would you talk to Carla? Oh, <laughs> and like goodness. now, like all the words are just tumbling out of my mouth because I can't believe that one of the most amazing artists in the industry not only liked my game, but liked my game enough that she's now asking me if she can do the artwork for it. Um, and so I put him in touch and like Carla and her worked it all out. And so uh, all of the beautiful visuals that exist in the game that are up on the Kickstarter are, you know, hard work from her and Katie Cow, who was the graphic designer. Um, you know, they created this amazingly beautiful game out of my, you know, clip art and, you know, standard word processor text prototype. You know, they took my game uh, and made it gorgeous and um 
Is that the point? It that is white of... card. It's white card and typeface, isn't it? It's white. Somebody said to me, it's white card and Times New Roman. And you yes. don't you don't go beyond then. It's like you can get maybe some sticky labels if you're using dice and just write them on. Yep. But don't yep. don't spend any money don't... until the labels no. are coming off the dice and you can't read the typeface because you've thumbed the kind of the cards so much that they're wrinkled that they've been play tested. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Like don't spend a lot of money on art. Go grab icons from some place that's fair use. Uh, that will allow you to do it free, gameicons.net, the Noun Project. Yeah. Um, there's all sorts of places where you can grab just little clip art icons. You don't have to make your prototype pretty. In fact, it's better if you don't, because somebody else is going to come along and make your prototype pretty, unless you're self-publishing. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, it's game design for me is a lot like being on a podcast. I get to do all the creation of the game, mm -hmm. and then... Everybody else gets to come along and do all the hard stuff, like the math and the logistics and the working with the factory <laughs> and the graphic design and the art, you know. Um, it's the same kind of thing. So really, I guess the whole podcast could be summarized as um, if you want to use the bearded rogue method, be really lazy and know a lot of people. Um, Guys, not, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Guys, it's, it's not about hard work. <laughs> not at all. It's not about not hard work. No. It's about be obviously, it's no. about being in the right place at the right time. But making sure you're a bit more switched on than Tony is when it comes to people asking yes. you to prom. <laughs> yes, absolutely. No, I have a um, I have a tendency to minimize my own parts of an endeavor, and so like the design is not like I don't give myself enough credit in the design portion of things. Like the design of a game is not an easy thing, no. and it requires a lot of hard work. But it's a lot of hard work that I personally enjoy. Mm -hmm as opposed to a lot of hard work that I don't enjoy. And so it's kind of a treat to be allowed to design. Like, I get to do a whole bunch of hard work on something that I love. Um, just like running a podcast and talking. I love talking, as anybody who's listened this far knows. <laughs> so in the, um, in the timeline of things, was Stellar Leap already successfully mm -hmm. funded on Kickstarter? Was that a thing that was going to yes. happen? Yeah. Yes. So you were already yes. aware that, that Carla could successfully... And let's face it, come from nowhere. Because I remember yes. the first... I still remember the first kind of podcast interview that I did with Carla. And she was just like, I'm, you know, I'm going to let you know I, I might be nervous on this. And I was like, you'll be, mm -hmm. you'll be fine. And she was fine. Mm -hmm. But then Stellar Leap went on to do wonderful things. So it goes in funds. And mm -hmm. you sitting there going, this is cool. I've pretend, you know, I've made the right decision. Let's mm -hmm. see what, let's see what kind of happens Kind of next. She still, she still gets nervous. Um, she still gets nervous before every interview, before every video, <laughs> before everything. Um, Carla is amazing. Yeah. Like, I, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about mm -hmm. it. She works harder than anybody I have ever met. Mm -hmm. And her company, like you said, came out of nowhere. But that's because she built it. She just one day declared, this is going to happen, and then made it happen through hard work, force of will, and um, ingenuity. Yep. And, um, you know, her first game, Super Hack Override, successful on Kickstarter. Yeah. Uh, her second game, Stellar Leap, more successful on Kickstarter. Um, and, you know, now Fire in the Library has exceeded even her expectations, which um, I'd like to think that I have something to do with, but I think it's probably mostly Beth. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, like, 
none of us expected it to be this successful. Like, Carla never had any doubt that it was going to work, that the, the game was going to fund and that it was going to come out and that it was going to be um, everything we'd wanted. And, like, she knew when she made the offer that she was going to be making my dreams come true by getting a game with my name out to people where they could play yeah. it. Um, but she, even she was unprepared for this level of success. Like, we had to up our game and start, you know, reaching out to even more connections to, you know, improve the product from what we initially even offered. We were like, well, we're offering a pretty cool thing, but, wow, we've got this much money, maybe we could make it even better. Yeah. And so almost all of the additional funds that we that we're earning in the project are being invested right back into the game like we're increasing the production values of all of the components we upgraded both the base edition the standard edition and the ultra edition um multiple times throughout the campaign like we just we want to we weren't expecting this great of a level of support and so we want to give back to all those people who jumped in and supported us like so we don't was, we didn't get into it for the money <laughs> yeah i was gonna say what was it like kind of sitting within the first 24 hours and uh, watching so, it just and watching it just kind of shoot up there and just go and you know do some and then then some and then you're just like because the button must be getting pressed and you're like going okay well you know and if you're if you're if you know people that are on kickstarter and you 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 um you follow people on kickstarter then what will happen is you'll get notifications as people back projects Mm -hmm. and what happened is fire in the library launched and then all of a sudden i get about a whack of emails oh, coming through with people saying, right, they've just I, backed up. I was... Same. Like, I was just overwhelmed. Yeah. Like, absolutely overwhelmed. So, like, we're sitting there um, the day that it goes active, and we're talking to each other on Messenger, and I'm like, um, maybe we shouldn't hit the button. Um, and she's like, why not? And I'm like, nobody's going to show up. And she goes, absolutely they will. People are going to show up. Don't worry about that. I'm going to hit the button. And I'm like, don't hit the button. I'm not ready to be sad. And she's like, I've already hit the button. And I'm like, no. (laughs) And then like, like you said, like I start getting all of these emails of all of these people backing, like all these people that I know. And I'm like, oh, that's really kind of them. That's really nice. Yeah. I appreciate that they would, you know, throw some money at something that that I care about. That's great. And then it just kept going and going and going. And, like, we hit our funding goal in the first two and a half hours of the Kickstarter. (laughs) Like, I was expecting this long 24-day slog of, you know, hoping to hit the goal by the end. And um, I couldn't have been further from reality. Um, in my perception of things like like I said I tend to be down on myself and so like I was sure that it was not going to be that way and instead it was like okay we're funded now what and that was a question that Carla had some answers for but even she wasn't prepared to fully answer that like there were whole levels of wow this is successful that we weren't set up for achieving like we didn't anticipate it and stretch so stretch just, whole shopping list i think it is i think you've got you've yeah. got the kind of the ones where you say okay um i have a budget what am i going to buy with mm-hmm. it and and you've you almost like you run out of things that you could possibly add to the game yeah it's you know, without... it's kind of like that like the initial stretch goals were let's upgrade the cards yeah. let's make the tokens bigger yeah. 
let's make the Ultra Edition a little fancier. Instead of cards, we're going to give you laser-etched Turner boards to match the laser-etched box and the laser-etched tokens. And then, like, we start getting to the point where, okay, well, we'll upgrade the bag for the Standard Edition, and then we'll upgrade the bag for the Ultra Edition. They'll just be better. And then... Um, you know, we'll contact MeepleSource and see if they'd be willing to do tokens for the, um, for the game, because they actually have a book token already, but it was only available in brown. So we contacted them, and, like, how hard would it be to, you know, do this? And they're like, well, you'd have to order a certain amount. Mm -hmm. And so then we started looking at the budget, like, okay, we can add that as a stretch goal. <laughs> there are some people who would be interested in this, um, as an add-on, uh, pack. Like, hell, I'm interested in it, and it's my game, <laughs> you know? And... Like the um, the the fancier bags that we added for the Ultra Edition was um, Demo Ken uh, and his wife Sam run a company called Geekcraft that makes custom dice bags. Yeah. And we were just talking to them at Unpub, and they were like, "Well, you know, we could do something like that." And I'm like, "Oh my God, your bags would be amazing! <laughs> like they're reversible dice bags that stand up on their own." Like, they, ha they could add, you know, library fabric on one side, flame fabric on the other. It would be this amazing thing. It's like, okay, sure, why not? We've got the money. Like, the manufacturing budget for this is totally within reason, so let's do it. And so we did. So, like, all of our stretch goals suddenly started becoming, how can we make this game better for everybody? Like, how can the game that we ship be even more amazing? Because... That's really what we want. We want people to really enjoy the game and feel like they got their money's worth out of it. And the more that we can put into it, the better. And, you know, Carla isn't in distribution yet. Like, Weird Draft Games doesn't go through retailers yeah. or distributors as of yet. And it's a goal of hers. Like, yeah. as a company, yeah. you need to be through distribution in order to have that, as they say in the industry, the long yeah. tail of sales after the initial Kickstarter. You know, a lot of people, you know, want Stellar Leap, but aren't going to be able to get it after the initial Kickstarter print run goes away, unless she runs another Kickstarter or something changes. Yeah, which kind of you know raises con confusing questions of confusion about people that are shouting out about their Kickstarter exclusives. And mm -hmm. I'm like, this is amazing. You're wanting ten dollars now instead of fifty dollars over a period of five years, but it's up, you know, it's kind of up to, you know, kind of up mm -hmm. to yourself. So it leads to kind of a, a different set of questions and a different set of confusion. But when you get your copy of Fire in the Library, are you gonna sit back like Admiral Akbar at the end of Return of the Jedi once the Death Star's just been mm -hmm. kind of just been blown up and just sit there and say, Right, I've I've done a job here. I've got the best version of fire in the library I could ever have. I, at this point, I can't even, like, I can't even fathom. Like, at this point, I'm officially a signed designer. Fire in the library is my first ever signed game. Yeah. I'm technically not published yet <laughs> until the games actually arrive. Um, and, you know, that's the day that, like, everything becomes permanently real like that i can no longer deny it to myself or anybody else like you know right now potentially you know nuclear war could start and the world ends and fire in the library never actually happens and i you know live in the post-apocalyptic world never having been a public I designer can just um, imagine but... i could just imagine that would be like your whole thing there'd be an entire kind of film he had his game designed yeah. he reached his stretch goals and now, the bearded rogue 
is going to make sure his game gets published. Bored yeah, Apocalypse. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like that. Like, I would be the guy in the Mad Max future who's upset because, you know, his entire life path was altered because of nuclear Everybody's bombs. talking about um, petrol and you're talking about cardboard. <laughs> Exactly. Like, it's ridiculous, but that's, you know, really where I'm at at this point. Like, I can't imagine holding it in my hands at this point. Like, just holding the demo copy that was sent to reviewers um, was just... Was it weird? It made me tear, it made me tear up. Like, to just have this copy of my game in my hands, like, this is something that I created that I spent, you know, two years of my life hammering away at and now it's real it's a real thing that i did and that i get to share with people and it's all i ever wanted when i sat down that first you know night where i decided you know what i don't have time to be around anybody else right now because everybody's adults with lives i'm gonna design games so that maybe you know i can be with them when i'm not around like they can pull my game off the shelf yeah. and I can be there yeah. in spirit, even if I'm not there physically. And now like the reality of that is coming to pass. Like that's a thing that's really going to be a thing. And, you know, just seeing pictures of people playing the demo copies, you know, posting them to Twitter, Carla running it at various conventions. Like she was at PAX unplugged and I'm seeing all these pictures of people playing my game um, at a major convention, um, and I'm not the one running it, you know, like it's it's must blow your mind blow altering, your, blow your mind a little. Yeah, kind of like there's yeah, there's absolutely. my thing that is mine. Other it is going to be out there. So are you going to um you going to sit down with your son when you get the when the game arrives, and then sit down and play it with him when it's fully published I... and sitting in your hands? Are you going to be reliving that kind of you know, going full circle, bringing it back down to that I game of really, I really hope so. Um, I really hope so. One of the things, he's five, and so, you know, there's all sorts of questions about, you know, what he understands and what he doesn't. And he knows Daddy's been really busy lately being on podcasts and interviews yeah. and talking to people and, you know, running a Kickstarter. He knows Daddy's been working. But, like, the day that the Kickstarter launched and it funded in three hours, I ran into the other room and I gave him, like, the biggest <laughs> hug I could manage. And I was like, I'm sorry, you probably don't even know why that is. And he's like, yeah, I do. It's Fire in the Library Day. <laughs> and he just said it to me, like, wow. clear as day and, like... He knows, like he knows how much it means to me and how much I care about it. And well, you know, when I briefly had the demo copy here um, to record the Kickstarter video yeah. before I sent it off to a reviewer, um, you know, he wanted to look at it and go through the cards and you know just you know see what it was. And like he knows that that's my game. Like he knows that I created it. He knows that I'm very happy about it. And so. I'm really excited to play it with him uh, when it gets to that point. Like, the last two years, you know, I've been developing it, and it's not been a game that was within his means to play. Yeah. But that's not always going to be the case, you know. And I'm going to have this gorgeous wooden laser-etched <laughs> edition with a reversible bag and, you know, all of this other bells and whistles and everything 
um, that'll be the most amazing version of this thing that I could have possibly wanted. And I get to share that with my son forever. And, you know, it'll be the kind of thing that I can pass down. And who knows? You know, who knows? Maybe he'll hate it and he won't want to play it. <laughs> maybe I'll have to design Maybe I'll have to design a different game maybe you'll have to... for him in the future. But I know that some of the reviewer kids, like my favorite story out of all of the stories that have come from reviewers since we shipped them out, is there was a little girl, she's 13, and she stole her father's review copy to bring to a sleepover <laughs> so she could play it with her friends because it's her favorite game of all time. There you go. And it may only be her favorite game of all time for that week. Exactly. Like, the next the next week, she may have a different favorite game of all time. She may, you know, move on and, you know, never even play Fire in the Library again. But in that moment, she loved that game so much that she committed petty theft... <laughs> To share it with her friends. And there's not much more that a rogue can you ask for. No. I mean, no, I inspired larceny in a 13-year-old girl because she loved something that I'd created so much. So it's really, that's, I mean, uh, that's it's kind gravestone of downhill worthy. from here. That's grave, that <laughs> yeah, is gravestone worthy. You know, here lies, here lies Tony Miller. Inspired larceny in a 13-year-old yes. girl. Well, maybe not put that on the gravestone. Um, what's, I mean... When the the flames turn to kind of ashes and embers, I mean, what's mm -hmm. what's next? What do you do? Oh, design more stuff. Um, I have so many different things that I want to design, and so many different things that I'm working on. And uh, this whole process of working with Carla as a developer and um, seeing things become a product rather than just a game. Um, has really made a lot of headway in a lot of my other designs. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, I have multiple different designs that I'm working on at this point, um, and I'm kind of taking some of my older designs that I made when I was a younger, much less experienced rogue, um, and reworking them uh, with more knowledge now and more experience and more um, skill it just it, frankly at game design and so I'm really excited to see what comes next um, I'm working on uh, a game called Stocko Trucks um, which is uh, it used to be called 18 Tex-Mex but I've been <laughs> informed by the gaming community that that is both one of the most funny titles ever and one of the most insider baseball titles ever <laughs> and so I'm not allowed to use it um, but it's a stock game where you're investing in taco trucks. Oh, right, okay. Um, and, uh, using, uh, cards to manipulate them on the board, uh, their placement on the board, so that you can make your stocks worth more than everybody else's. So it, it borrows a little bit from the 18xx genre, but it's a very, like, scaled-down gateway version of something like that. Um, and then I've got, uh... A game that I've been working on for a long time called Back to Earth, which is kind of an action programming, hand-building game where you are... Uh, it's the far future, and mankind has spread to the stars, but we're always looking for additional places to live, so we dug out the oldest star charts we could find. Yeah. And uh, turns out there's this planet Earth, I guess, that looks like it could be habitable, but whoever lived here before left it an absolute mess. Oh, right. So... 
our job is to use terraforming robots and green technology to basically clean it up. And uh, whichever company, you know, like any stuff that we clean, we get to keep. So your incentive is to, you know, have the most points at the end of the game, have cleaned the most territory and set up the most infrastructure before the colonists arrive. Um, and then uh, I just started a design last week um, called Stelescope, where your astronomers sharing a government-funded telescope, and you're trying to uh, find particular patterns of stars in the night sky but you can manipulate where the telescope is focused and uh, how the stars are arranged so that you can create the patterns and score points that way. So there's all sorts of stuff still coming out of this uh, very uh, bizarre mind no, that I I'm, have. You know, I mean, it sounds <laughs> like the fire in the library is not the only kind of burning thing that's happening. It sounds like your imagination has also been set on fire as well. If... I've got a thing for you then. If, mm -hmm. right, okay, if you were in the library of board games mm -hmm. and say some careless person has been cooking spare ribs over an open <laughs> coal fire and a little spark set off and it's just mm -hmm. all went slightly incandescent. Mm-hmm. There's all different types of board games in this library. I mean, this is this is a curated collection, okay? Mm -hmm. The sprinkler system's broken. The whole place is about to go up. You have got two minutes at the most. You're allowed mm -hmm. to take three board games with you from any genre, okay. any year, any edition. Three. Mm -hmm. What okay. three do you take with you, Tony? Uh, so right now my top three games, uh, of all time are Android Netrunner. Okay. Sentinels of the Multiverse. Yeah. And Battlecon. Okay, alright. Uh, and I would rush to grab those three as quickly as I possibly could. Um, I would also probably try to, uh, snag my quiver if I brought it with me, because <laughs> there's 13 card games in there that I can't live without either, No, you either, can't so. just, no, sorry. It's one or the other, sorry. You just can't, you can't uh, Like, if you stay too well, long, that hair of yours is just going to go up. Don't tell me there's not potassium permanganate in that dye. It's going to go up a treat. <laughs> that's true, it'll, it'll just be gone. Just and that's, oof. you know, oh well. As long as the beard stays, I'm okay. As long as the beard is slightly singed. <laughs> like you've been attacked by a small dragon. Um, <laughs> if people want to keep an eye on what you're up to, you bearded rogue, where can we find you on the internet webs? Uh, the best place is absolutely at bearded rogue on Twitter. Okay. Um, you can find me there. Uh, I'm also uh, going to be soon running the social media for the Breaking Into Board Games podcast, cool. um, which on Twitter is Breaking Into BG. Um, so that's uh, yet another place you can find me. Um, please do. I love talking to people. I love meeting new people. I love interacting with people. So I would love it if uh, you reached out. <laughs> and we'll make sure that we take all these links and we put them in the show notes so that we have sh notes to show Mr. Miller. Uh, that would be quite kind of you, sir. I shall make sure it happens at once. On with the horses. Um, <laughs> <laughs> th 
thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. I thought it would be. I was like, I've been looking forward to this actually. It's been a, it's been a busy couple of days over here, so it's been nice to kind of kick back and have a good, uh, have a good chat with you. Um, I've got to obviously make everybody aware that if they want to keep an eye on what we're up to, we're viral. By the way, <laughs> this is the latest <laughs> thing. I put out the most ridiculous tweet on Twitter about board games. And, every, and related it to pizza <laughs> for some reason. Yes. There's about 270 of you thought it was worth retweeting and 900 folk thought it was like <laughs> Oh yeah, it's it's so accurate though. It's one of the most accurate tweets I, I've ever read. Just, just like, because you know it's just one of these things, it's like you get the handcrafted ones, you go right, okay, I'm just going to put this down because you know, this will resonate with people. And this was just a pizza for lunch. And I was sitting, I was sitting there going, you know what? This is what it's like. And I put it out there, and I thought nothing of it. And then next thing I know, uh-huh. it's like my phone's. I'm thinking somebody's phoning me because my phone's just vibrating. <laughs> and I look down and go, no, not this, not like this, not like this. I'm like switching the matrix. Not like this. Not this one. <laughs> Don't let this one be what I'm doing. Why is why is this the one they picked? <laughs> I could, you know, I've I know I've said other clever things. <laughs> I think the best thing about it is the fact the responses to it have been absolutely golden in relation to how far people <laughs> have stretched the analogy. There's some, oh yeah. Somebody saying, um, "Is it okay to buy a frozen pizza that's twenty years old <laughs> to put in your freezer?" <laughs> <laughs> Just like what are you doing? What are you people like? But anyway, so there you go. Um, and you can find that on Twitter if you go for We're Not Wizards. Um, you can find us on Facebook, which is We're Not Wizards, which isn't exi- isn't as exciting as Twitter at the moment. Or you can find us on places like Instagram and YouTube, and you can find us on Spotify. And did I say we're on Spotify? Yes, I have. Every single episode since we've been on Spotify. And you can find us on all the podcast places, which is like your Stitchers and Spreakers and Acasts and pod knife um, you can go to our website which is we're not wizards.com um, if you like us really really like lots if you listen tonight and went do you know what those guys they're decent I'm going to listen to them again then go to Apple Podcasts and hit the subscription um, if you like us even more than that then consider giving us a rating um, There's more. do you know there's more people listen to us in the states than there is in the UK I don't know why <laughs> I don't know why that is howdy um <laughs> But, you know, um, but if you have liked what you've listened to tonight, consider giving us a rating or a review. If you give us a rating, remember, don't give us ten stars, because that makes us big-headed. But don't give us a one star, because that makes us cry. And I'm an ugly crier. I've got a face for podcasting. You know, it looks like, you know, it looks like I've run into a bus like several times. I'm not joking. My mum used to have to tie bones around my neck to make the dogs play with me when I was younger. I was not a good-looking kid. But <laughs> give us something in the middle, which is like a five, because it's in the middle and it's average, and we are a bit average. But the person who's not been average day or tonight, while his library is in flames and tatters, is the rather wonderful, the rather amazing, the purple-headed rogue that is Tony <laughs> Miller. So... Thank you again, Tony, for coming on. 
thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome. <laughs> and there's only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Tony? Not at all. I'm a rogue. There you go. A bearded one at that. And the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from the... Was it... What did I say? The suddenly successful... <laughs> it's like the musical little shuffle followers. Suddenly successful um, Mr. Tony Miller. So say, say goodbye, Tony. Bye, everybody. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, and um, there might be fire in the library. Is there going to be a pledge manager for it? Can people jump on? Yes, absolutely. So we'll make sure that um, there's lots of videos out there about gameplays and playthroughs. Watch them all, but make sure that you get involved in this because this is going to be hot, hot, hot. In many, many ways. But until the next time, goodbye. I didn't even get an Iron Brew reference in there, damn it.